You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us turn together to the Word of our God. We read this afternoon from 1 Kings chapter 17. Let's listen to the Word of our God. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Seraphath at Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Seraphath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. 
Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Let's turn to Lord's Day 50, question and answer 125. What is the fourth petition? Give us this day our daily bread, that is, provide us with all our bodily needs, so that we may acknowledge that thou art the only fountain of all good, and that our care and labor and also thy gifts cannot do us any good without thy blessing. Grant therefore that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures, and place it only in thee. The love of congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, you may find it somewhat unusual that on New Year's Day we are having a sermon connected to the Heidelberg Catechism. After all, this is a special day, and special days usually call for special texts. So I opt for the usual. Why turn to the same old catechism? Why not something different and more fitting for the occasion? Well, the answer lies, beloved, mostly in the fact that up next in our treatment of the Heidelberger is Lord's Day 50. And what is Lord's Day 50 all about? Well, you know, it has to do with the fourth petition. It has to do with prayer. And even more specifically, it has to do with bread. Now think about it. Is bread not a most fitting topic to deal with as we start a new year? Is food not one of the basic concerns of our life? Is making a living and providing for our personal and family needs one of, not one of the fundamental issues? Are material concerns in one way or another not always at the top of our lists of priorities? And of course, some of you may say, no. Who worries about food in a rich country like Canada? We open our cupboards and they're full. We go to the grocery store and, and the aisles are spilling over with foodstuffs from all over the world. We open our wallets and out comes the money to pay for this and that. And if there's no money, then there's credit or there's debit. And if there's not credit or debit, then we go to welfare. And if there's no welfare, we can always go to the deacons. So who has material concerns today? We do. Because you see, in spite of what we say and how we act, in spite of how we pretend, there is always this insecurity in our lives when it comes to money and food and wages. And let's not forget investments. What are the things that we worry about most in life? They are health, and money. And why is that? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with our experiences in life. Some of you older 
Members still remember the sudden turn of events at the end of the 1920s. One day the economy appeared to be booming and the next day the great crash, as they call it, happened in 1929. Or some of you have experienced the dreaded winter of 1945 at the end of World War II when so many died of hunger in the old country. And some of you remember only too well those first years of immigration and all of the skimping and the scraping that was needed to get by. And some of you also remember the sudden economic downturns that have happened over the last 20 or 30 years. And what about those who have come recently from Africa with its civil wars and its continual flood of refugees. Why, if you come to think of it, beloved, we all know something about bread and money and material things and the concerns surrounding them. From the little boys here this afternoon who keep careful watch over their piggy banks to the older members who live off their pension checks, from the single person trying to pay all the bills to the parents taking care of their children, we're all caught up in the food question. And as a result, it's a good thing that we start this new year of our Lord, 2006, by dealing with this most basic, this most common aspect and concern of our lives. It's even better that we started with a word of reminder and encouragement. So, beloved, I preach to you after you turn off your cell phones, starting a new year full of confidence in our great bread provider. And we're going to see the God who sustains his people, the God who blesses his people, and the God who expects the trust of his people. So, beloved, we're going to deal for the next little while on regarding the matters of food, money, clothing, shelter, and with all of the, what you might call the material aspects of life. But, but the question arises, where shall we actually begin? Shall we begin with the ABCs of finance? Shall we begin with the principles of good, sound stewardship? Shall we begin with some basic lessons about monetary policy, investment, stock market? Or shall we begin with how to grow a really good garden? Or how about holding down a job? Or how about making the most of your particular skills and aptitudes? Now, beloved, as important and relevant as some of those things may be, there is something even more important. For when it comes to the matter of making a living and putting bread on our tables, we need to begin with God. For you see, at bottom, the so-called bread question in our lives is really a God question. For who has made us to be bread people? Who has created us with the appetites of hunger and thirst? Who has made our bodies and our stomachs and our sense of smell and taste? 
And in addition, who has created food of every kind to meet our bodily needs? And, and who causes the seeds to sprout and the grass to grow and the cattle to fatten? And who gives us the ability to work and to manufacture and to invent and to build and to sell? Beloved, we confess together this afternoon it all comes from God. He's our source. He's our life giver and he's our life shaper. And so the Lord Jesus Christ knows this only too well. He understands only too well that the perfect prayer cannot skip over this part of our life. What would the Lord's prayer be like without any mention of bread whatsoever? It would be deemed incomplete, unrealistic, otherworldly. It would be, I would even dare to say, a prayer with a huge hole in it. And so the result is that we have this fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. Having dealt with the God side of our life in terms of God's name, kingdom, and will, Christ deems it to be time to go on to the human side of our life. And then note, note carefully where he begins. He begins not where you might expect him to begin with sin, and neither does he opt for our second choice, which would be temptation. Now he's so utterly realistic and down to earth. He knows us. He knows our fears, our insecurities. He knows exactly where we live such a large part of our lives. And so he begins with bread. He begins with the material side of life. And in that way, you can say, too, he legitimizes it. And surely it's good that he does so. But the fact of the matter is that often Christians have not. Often throughout history, the material side of our life has been shoved aside as something inferior or of little or no consequence. How many theologians and philosophers throughout the ages have not been critical of all human physical appetites and desires and needs? And questions about food and drink and material concerns and, and dealing with human longings have frequently dis been dismissed as unworthy. After all, we are Christians and we live on a higher, more exalted spiritual level. Humbug. That's what our Savior says by using and inventing this particular petition. And so says God the Father as well. Why, you need only to turn back to the pages of the Old Testament and, and see how it's filled with bread stories. Yes, and some of the best happened during the prophetic ministries of Elijah and Elisha. 
Elijah, whom we read in 1 Kings 17, who's fed by the ravens. Elijah and the miracle of the jar of flour and the jug of oil. And later on, Elisha and the healing of the water and the widow's oil and the pot and the feeding of the 100 and the lifting of the siege of Samaria. So why all of those material miracles sprinkled throughout the Old Testament? And why are are so many of them concentrated in this particular part of Israel's history? Do you know the answer? Think. Guess. Give up. Well, it has to do with Baal. Baal. Yes, Baal. Who's Baal? Well, Baal is the most popular of all Canaanite gods. And Baal is said to have been the god of growth, fertility, and harvest. He's said to be at the bottom of Israel's prosperity. Baal's the one who puts food on your plates. He's the one who puts clothes on your back. He's the one who puts a roof over your head. Where does he? Not according to the God of Israel. According to him, Baal is all sham and talk and show. Baal's nothing but human invention. And to prove it, beloved, we have that most dramatic of confrontations on Mount Carmel between Elijah, the prophet of the Lord, and those hundreds of priests of Baal. Who really is God? Who really hears and answers from heaven? Who is actually the God of all growth and prosperity, of all food and and plenty, of all the needs and necessities of daily living? This is, as it were, divine competition. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And that, beloved, is not Baal, the God of Ahab and Jezebel. No, it's the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the Lord who sends the ravens and who makes sure that the jar of flour is not used up and the jug of oil never runs out. He's God. He alone is God. Well, now, beloved, it's to this same God that our Savior Jesus Christ directs us to in this fourth petition. And he's saying we are to direct all our prayers about bread to him because he alone is able to sustain us. And it's good for us to remember that as we begin a new year. A year that's going to be filled with working and feeding, planning, investing, and all kinds of business dealings. And as you do so, be careful that you do not fall into the trap of thinking that that this particular part of your life has nothing to do with God. More than a few Christians have fallen into that trap. 
And perhaps they don't verbalize it because that's something you tend not to verbalize in our community. But, but deep down and you think, oh, the Sunday belongs to God. He gets the spiritual side of my life, the side that has to do with worship and praying and Bible reading and, and really just talk. But then there's that other side, the work and the business side. And that's all mine. That's where I call the shots and do as I see fit. There was once a rich farmer who took that particular tact. He was rolling in the dough and he had big, big expansion plans. He thought he had the world by the tail Maybe a bit of a Conrad Black kind of story. What a mistake. And he assumed that he had thought of everything, you know, plans, permits, red tape, bureaucrats, you name it. Only, only he'd missed something. Actually, he'd missed a very big someone. He'd missed God. And it was God, the God of Psalm 2, who had the last laugh. For he said, my inflated, conceited, arrogant friend, your time is up. Life's over. Finished. Something to think about, right? Do your work. Make your plans, use your talents, feed and clothe your children, but keep God at the heart and the center of everything you do. And that's what the Lord Jesus is teaching us in this fourth petition. And that's also what the catechism teaches when it says, so that we may acknowledge that you are the only fountain of all good. So lesson number one. Acknowledge God. But you know that's not, not all that's being taught here. For hidden in those words, give us this day our daily bread. There's also something else. There's here a lesson about, about blessing. And indeed, the catechism draws our attention to it when it goes on to say that our care and labor and also your gifts cannot do us any good without your blessing. Now, what's that all about? I think that many of you probably have an inkling. Have you ever met people who worked and worked and worked from sun up to way past sundown they toiled they never stopped working it seems they they never had time for this they they never had had time for that because there was always more work to do and there were never enough hours in the day 
Well, you know, when you see that, you have to admire the effort, right? It's good to see that at least someone still has a work ethic. But as much as we may admire the ethic, you may also come away somewhat puzzled. Puzzled by what? By the fact that some people work and work and work and get nowhere. At the end of the day, they have nothing to show for all of their toil and their labor under the sun. So what's this? Or take another odd scene. There are some homes in which you can find practically everything. The cupboards are stacked with food. The closets are stuffed with clothes. The bathrooms smell with perfumes and ointments and you name it. And in addition, the garage has at least two very nice cars in it. The family room is waving over with stereo sound. And the latest Xbox is at work in the corner. And the newest and widest plasma screen is on the wall. Every toy is there. And yet something's lacking. There's no love between husband and wife. There's no harmony between parents and children. There's no happiness, no peace, no contentment. So, so what is this? How can you work and work and get nowhere? How can you have everything you dream about and still miss out? My beloved, the answer is in one word. And the word's blessing. Work alone, money alone, toys alone will not do it. They'll not give you the good life. There's something else that's fundamental and basic and necessary, and it's called blessing. God's blessing. And what's blessing? I ask that because that's a word, I think, that's not being used very much anymore in our modern society. You find it in the Scriptures, but you rarely find it in daily life, whoever, as far as you know, has lately talked to you about, who's not a Christian, that is, about blessing. It's as if the whole idea, the whole concept has disappeared from our materialistic life and society. Well, blessing, says the Scripture, is the ability to endow with power for success prosperity, productivity, longevity. Blessing. That's the secret to a rich and abundant life. That's why the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, happy, content, fortunate, well-adjusted, satisfied are these people. So how does that happen? How do you get blessed? 
And how do you receive God's blessing? Our beloved, the catechism would say, and the scriptures would say even more so, it's very much a matter of prayer. It's about all about wrapping your life and all the things of your life in continual praise and petition. It's all about attitude. The kind of attitude that we were reminded about back in Lord's Day 45, answer 116, where it says, God will give His grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask Him for these gifts and thank Him for them. It's about approach. The kind of approach that you meet in the next answer, 117, wherein we call upon the one true God from the heart. And wherein we humble ourselves before Him. And wherein we rest on this firm foundation that God will hear us for the sake of Christ, His Son. You see, beloved, those who work and and those who live and, and those who earn and those who in the process of all of these things look to God sincerely, humbly, thankfully, expectantly, and daily will be blessed by God. And remember that also in this new year. If you want your work to amount to something, if you want your affluence to pay true personal dividends, then you need to seek out God's blessing. And really in the end, that's something that all comes down to one thing, and that's trust. Our God, I guess that's the bottom line, our God wants our trust. And there again the catechism points us in the same direction when it says, grant that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in you. You know, by nature we all trust in something or someone. Mostly we trust in ourselves. Sometimes we trust in luck or chance. As well, we may trust in things like the government, the economy, the union, the corporation, our money and our assets. Life is full of trust. But you know, there's a problem here as well. And it's found in the fact that so often we trust in useless or worthless things or in powerless people, organizations, or institutions. Trust in yourself. And I guarantee you one day you'll hit a brick wall. Trust in your friends. And there'll come a moment and a time when they'll disappoint you. Trust in your possessions, and one day you may wake up and realize they've all vanished. 
trust in your government and it'll tax you. In the end, there's only one place to put your trust. And that's in your God. And why in God? Because of who he all is. Faithful, true, loving, forgiving, merciful, almighty, tender God of the eternal covenant. And because of what he all does. Who has created us. Who provides for us. Who saves us from all of our sins. Who gives us his son. Who fills us with his spirit. Who guides us with his word. Who walks with us every day. Who picks us up when we are down. And who brings us home at last and into his eternal glory and everlasting presence. Beloved, here's a petition that calls on us to put our trust, all of it, in the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And let's do that also in 2006. And indeed, let's do it no matter what. Who knows what the new year will bring? Maybe health, maybe sickness, maybe riches, maybe poverty, maybe peace, maybe war, maybe calm, maybe disaster, maybe life, maybe even death. No doubt. It's going to be some of both. After all, we're still living in a broken, groaning world. A world that needs fixing. And so be prepared for the setbacks and the sadness. But through it all, look to your God and hang on to Him. And He will take care of you. For we know that in all things He works for the good of those who love Him. Have a blessed 2006. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.